Hey, welcome back. It's time for another episode of WVU Marketing Communications Today. Coming to you live from the campus of West Virginia University. It's a syndicated show that sits squarely at the intersection of data-driven decision-making and modern marketing practices. And today, we're happy to have with us a new host. We have a rotating series of uh, guest hosts on the show. Welcome, Susan K. Jones. Is, Is the K important to put in there? Yes, it is, because there's so many Susan Joneses in the world. I use the K to differentiate a little bit. There you go. That's your personal brand here. Okay. Yeah, you got that right. Well, let me give you a quick uh, synopsis, folks, of who we're talking with. Uh, Susan's a tenured full professor of marketing at Ferris State University in Michigan, the great state of Michigan. I'm very familiar with the school. I had friends that went there. She's also the principal of Susan K. Jones and Associates. She teaches direct marketing, digital marketing, advertising, social media content marketing, and business-to-business classes at Ferris State. And she's authored and co-authored more than 30 books, including Creative Strategy in Direct and Interactive Marketing. Welcome, Susan, to the program. Thank you so much. It's great to be with you. Who'd you bring with you today, and what are we going to talk about today? We are going to be talking about data-driven marketing in the nonprofit world, and we're going to be talking to Anne DeFabio Doyle, who's VP of Communications at the Pew Charitable Trust. So I'm really looking forward to seeing how this might differ from data-driven marketing and consumer and business-to-business applications. Yeah, I want to see if it's any... You know, we just did a show minutes ago about data-driven decision-making, and the title of it was Lost in Translation. We have more (laughs) stuff coming at us, and we don't know what it's saying. So, right, so exactly. hopefully you can Big help. Big data us. is not very good until you do something with it. Yeah, right. It it doesn't paint a picture all of itself. It just confuses you uh, more than exactly. anything else. Here, well, welcome, uh, Anne, to the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to join you. Yeah, let's start with the first question, then I'll let Susan take over. Is it any different in the nonprofit world? Are you any less confused than we are by big data? <laughs> I don't know about less confused, but I think the nonprofit space is a little different. Yeah, look forward to talking about it. Great. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And it's so great to have you with us. I'm a big admirer of the Pew Charitable Trust. And I wonder if you could tell us to start what your position is there specifically and how you got there. Sure, Susan. Thank you. I'm glad to hear um, you're a fan of Pew, too. As you mentioned, I'm the vice president for communications at Pew, and I lead the institutional strategy team. And what that means is I handle strategic planning, institutional media, public opinion research, and all digital, creative, and advertising programs. I think for your listeners, particularly those who are considering a master's or might be alumni of the program, I'll note that my professional background includes a variety of sectors. I have worked in the private sector where I started my career. I've worked in other nonprofits, and I've also worked for the federal government. But I think one of the things that's consistent across sector, which may be of interest to listeners, is really the need to strategically assess plans and tactics using quantitative and qualitative results. And that's where that data comes in that we're all looking at and assessing on a a regular basis these days. Absolutely. In the for-profit sector, the CFOs are getting involved in this. It used to be in the back in the old days, that it, they let marketing do its own thing. But now that they know that we have all this data, they want us to prove ROI on everything that we're doing. And one of the things I want to talk about with you is how that might be different in the nonprofit world. But first, let's talk a little bit about the Pew Charitable Trusts. And you told me that your mission there is informing the public by providing useful data 
that illuminate the issues and trends shaping our world. Now, that's a very broad and um, <laughs> ambitious solution, isn't it? <laughs> so it, it is. Yeah. How does your team work to fulfill that mission? Sure. Pew is a global nonprofit, been around 71 years, and we work across a variety of issues. So there's really breadth and depth, as you note, Susan. And our, our topics range from conservation to health, state and consumer initiatives. And so I would say the primary goal of the communications department to help achieve the mission of those active research projects really to work collaboratively with them to design smart communication strategies that are based on their goals. And those can vary greatly. Um, and actually, that's where the fun is, right? Um, you get to think about a lot of different policy and research objectives and how communications tools can be applied to help move the ball. Right. But then we also have, of course, a broader mission. We have to think about, and this is where my team really comes in, we have to think about protecting and advancing the reputation of the organization as a whole and how do we try new tactics, new tools to reach audiences in different ways? People often think of communicators and marketers as former English majors who are off writing <laughs> stories for the website. But I think we're all secretly data geeks today. As you mentioned, everyone now realizes that in marketing and communications, there's a lot of data behind the scenes that is driving our decisions. That's definitely true at Pew, where data drives most, if not all, of our decisions on a daily basis. Yes, that's that's so true. I think the data analyst or data geek is probably one of the top job descriptions today because people who have a bachelor's or even a master's in that really can write their own ticket. Would you agree? I do agree. And I think now when in communications and in marketing, I hear more and more colleagues and at conferences, for example, the emphasis on do you understand analytics? How do you use data in your work to assess strategies? Tell me about a time when you learned something wasn't working. What did you do? Or you learned something was working based on the data and how did you scale it up? It's really part of the dominant conversation now, I think, in the industry. Yeah, You don't just say, here's what we saw, but what does it mean and what do we do about it? That's the key, I think. Correct. Correct. Let's dig a little deeper into this. How is communication and marketing different in the nonprofit context versus what many of our listeners might be used to in the for-profit world? Sure. I think that's a really interesting question, and there's a lot of conversation about communications and marketing. You probably have even heard people start to call it MarCom. Um, yes. As some of the tools, I think, have converged. I, I would say, well, scale is definitely different between, for example, a consumer products company and a nonprofit. At Pew or other nonprofits aren't trying to sell things. We're trying to advance a mission. At Pew, we're trying to inform and educate people and move policy goals. Of course, the end result could be different, but I think there are really some of the key core strategies and tactics are the same right now. And across you know, private sector, nonprofit, other sectors, the decline of organic reach of content is a huge trend people are talking about. And I think Nonprofits didn't used to advertise, but we are in paid media now, even if our resources or budgets aren't as large as private sector organizations. But we're in there, too, because we see the decline of organic reach on social media, for example. Mm -hmm. And we want to make sure our information is actually getting into the hands of the people who need to see it. I, I would note that, you know, the environment's gotten so noisy, everyone's really looking for ways to make sure audiences are engaging, email continues to be a significant powerhouse in that regard. 
we have a deep focus on email at Pew because, look, we love it that people have signed up to receive updates from us and are engaged enough, can look and help segment and see kind of the types of content pieces that people are interested in. And we really can see reliable results over time in that way. And you can segment so well with email once you know something about these people and dig into your data. And I love that you mentioned you can get results on email so fast. It's not going to take days. It's going to take hours in most cases. Exactly right. The fact that you know that audience group is interested. There are other platforms and channels where it's harder to tell what's going on sometimes these days. I would say another trend I think we see in nonprofit space and communications and marketing that I think is probably pretty similar to other industries, but it's worth raising, is really, again, turning back to data, the investment in data infrastructure. Look, this is like continual housekeeping now, right? We all have yes. to we all have to be looking at our data sources and understand what it means. It's you can't just have it sit somewhere. You really need smart people, as you mentioned, Susan, who understand what's going on and help you interpret so you derive the right lessons. So this brings me to a question that I had. What are some of your favorite resources or programs for tracking the data as it as it comes in for you? Yeah. So for us, I mean, we do use a customer relationship management tool. We are bringing a variety of different data sources into that so that we can assess audiences over time. Pew looks at metrics really from a macro level at what we define reach, engagement, and influence. And so across data sources, we're looking, for example, reach. How many people saw that post? Or if we had an event, how many people attended that event? or viewed the related materials online. Sometimes that's not a tool as much as I've got someone in the room who knows there were 110 people who showed up, right? Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> but then, like, you know, engagement, that's where we really get into kind of the site analytics, how many people downloaded or viewed that, or on social media, of course, things like liking, sharing. Pew is very interested. I mean, our communications team is very interested in influence because at the end of the day, we are trying to inform people and hopefully make a difference in the world. This is much harder to measure, right? right? I think communications and marketing professionals have struggled with that. I mean, we're really never tired of debating and discussing yes. it, I think. How did we show ROI, right? And influence, there's a lot of qualitative in there. Some of my favorite examples of influence are often like we'll get a letter or an email from someone who says something really affected them or they learned something and they took an action. But that's harder to explain to people if you're looking for, you know, kind of a results data sheet internally. Yes, that's always been a challenge with nonprofits to see. And one of my favorite questions is people will say, well, how do you know this worked? And I right. will say, well, how do you know it wouldn't have been much worse if this nonprofit hadn't been doing what they're doing for prevention, for information, what have you? It's, it's a right. tough one. It is, and sometimes it's the sum of all parts, right? I was just discussing this with the team yesterday about some of the tactics we used on a Risa Data Interactive we had published. We saw some great earned media coverage of it, and people praised it in some meetings. We had some great qualitative there. We were trying to assess, like, okay, for the effort we put into it, did we really see people engage with the data in a different way? Right. You have to look at all those pieces together to know that you had an impact in some way. Right. So the uh, quantitative does not trump qualitative completely, particularly in the nonprofit world. Exactly so, right. Um, 
Very soon we're going to break for a commercial, and I think this commercial is about WVU, so <laughs> we will okay. be hearing about that in a minute. But when we come back, I want to hear about your own podcast called After the Facts. So sure. you are a pro at podcasting yourself. So we'll talk about that on the other side. Great. And yes, we will. Right after we remind you that today's show is brought to you by West Virginia University's online data marketing communications program. It's the first graduate program of its kind in the country, focusing on strategic thinking, critical problem solving, and informed decision making. The data marketing communications program at WVU prepares you for your career by learning those innovative tactics and award-winning strategies like those we're talking about today and how to enter this brave new world where data drives most of the decisions. You can learn more at the Data Marketing Communications Program website, dmc.wvu.edu. Big fan of the Charitable Trust. Listen to the podcast. Fascinated to hear why they chose that medium to tell their information. Is that how people are consuming on a smartphone these days? Or was it because it's long-form storytelling and it's more than a soundbite or a snippet? Yes, Anne, let's talk about that. So it fascinates me. You use a data point to frame a story about a key policy issue. So that's right in line with your use of data. So what's a little background on that podcast and how are you measuring the success of that? delighted to talk about after the fact. We're about to hit the three-year mark at the end of this month with after the fact, and we'll do that with our 73rd episode. I know you all know how that feels like when you're on the production schedule. It's a lot of fun to look back on where we started and why and how we've evolved. So yeah, it truly was how do we talk about the trends and policy challenges today in a pew way? And that came down to when we were brainstorming really came down to the central point, as you mentioned, Susan, we're about data, we're about facts. And so we felt that data had to be at the center of the podcast. But that wasn't enough, right? We had to move quickly into storytelling and get those compelling stories and information about trends out to provide people context and sometimes to provide a counter narrative, like maybe you never thought about it this way. One good example in that is sharks. Pew works on shark conservation and people Mm -hmm. are often the media, particularly around things like Shark Week, really focused on shark attacks. And of course, this <laughs> happened. Of course, this happened. And I'm, I'm not trying to say anything about that. But one of the things is sharks as a species are actually under threat. And we at Pew have worked with shark attack victims who want to go around the world and advocate for shark protection so that people aren't indiscriminately killing them or they're getting caught up in bycatch other things. So That was an interesting story to put together because it truly was a counter narrative. You know, how do you take a topic of a species that many people find threatening and provide context around it by interviewing survivors? So that was fun. And then something else I'm really proud of the team for doing recently is they've been doing some deep dive series, which has been an evolution for us on After the Fact. They just did a four-part series on the American family today that brought together trends from the Pew Research Center on marriage, dating, parenting, and retirement. But then we went around and interviewed people who really brought those data points to life. I'm going to look that one up. That sounds fascinating. I'm really into human interest stories and and shark interest stories, too, of course. (laughs) (laughs) Measurement, you mentioned, like, we obviously look at plays over time. 
We look at audience engagement with social media posts. We do advertise occasionally for the podcast and try to see that generates new audiences for us. Mm-hmm. Where would you advertise this? Just give me a couple examples of where you might advertise it. Sure. Um, we have advertised on social media, but we've also advertised on other podcasts. So, for mm-hmm. example, the Vox Media Network, when they launched the Arthur Brooks podcast a couple years ago, we were one of the sponsors because we really liked his bipartisan approach, and that was in line with us. And we thought people who listen to that might be interested in after the fact. So I think it's often trying to find things that are in the Pew zone that really center on data, nonpartisanship, and we try to find audiences who are already aligned with those types of interests. And I'm just wondering if I can jump in for one second and ask one short question here, because I'm fascinated by this topic. We could talk for hours about how you tell stories with data. But I was watching something the other day with the editor, the publisher of the Washington Post and the New York Times, and they said, you know, it used to be good enough just to present the facts. Now we almost have to defend the facts. We have to sell the facts because we live in a world of alternative facts. People immediately <laughs> present and uh, mean, oh, that's not true. I don't believe that. And they just dismiss it. Talk about that a little bit. Uh, are we in a post-fact world or are we just <laughs> overwhelmed by facts? There is a lot of information out, that is for sure. I think for organizations like Pew and others, who are fact-based, and again, we're nonpartisan, just trying to make sure people can see the data and then derive decisions and information for themselves is a primary thing. And in fact, Susan and I had talked a little bit about an initiative we launched last year called Living Facts, which was really in the marketing parlance, like our effort at direct-to-consumer fact-sharing. We felt like Pew has so much data, but we needed to make it accessible to people almost at their fingertips, more snackable-sized facts. So we're sharing facts about America and Americans through that initiative and the website's livingfacts.org. That's a way for Pew to share facts from our own research as well as from U.S. government sources. And we hope people find that and, you know, see that it's credible data, and then they can use that to, you know, consider policy initiatives and other things on their own. But yeah, starting with the facts is obviously important and trying to just get the information out is so critical. Do you have to go deeper and defend the facts or show the facts? You can't just show the conclusion. We ran a study and here's what we concluded, which is right. what a lot of people in, in a soundbite world were, were used to that. Now the, the point they have, the papers are making, we got to show you the data. We got to show you how conclusions. And- right, right. Yeah. That's a good point. I mean, we are transparent about, we link to methodology for people who really want to dig in, particularly if you're skeptical about a finding. We have a link to the methodology. You can read the survey question, you you can form your own opinion. And so we believe that transparency is really important in that way. When people, for example, on social media may question something we have posted with a fact, You know, our belief is we respond, and you may not agree with the fact, but we're going to show you why it is a fact. (laughs) We're at least going to show you the methodology behind how we got there, and then Mm -hmm. you're welcome to form your own opinion from there. So I'm wondering, some people are going to dig into all of that background, but do you use things like infographics, charts? What ways do you use to communicate the information in a digestible way for people? Yeah, it's such a good question, Susan. I think we, we try to do it all, honestly, and it depends. We are very interested in looking at infographics, data visualization. Sometimes a short video is the best way. 
we've used articles. I mean, we're definitely not afraid of long form. We have a policy journal called Trend that is all about long form articles to really dive into a topic in depth. And I think coming back to data, that's where I like to look at with my team, like, okay, how did that perform? What do we know about that piece of content and how we promoted it? And what kind of results? And are there any lessons that bear up over time as you do that more and more? Or mm-hmm. something's just anomalies? I'd like to go back to something we touched on before. In the nonprofit space, how do you determine if a new communication and marketing project or tactic is worth pursuing? And then we kind of talked about this. It's ROI, it's dollars and cents in the for-profit world, but are there some softer measures that you're able to look at and your funders and supporters will accept that because it's maybe moving people's opinions, attitudes, and so on? I think the rapid evolution of technology in today's changing media landscape has meant that there's always a new tool or a new platform that people may be racing to research or considering for their organizations. At Pew, probably won't surprise you to hear, we have a very rigorous mindset about that, I would say, because obviously we're a nonprofit and our aim is focused on serving the public goods. With my team, we really have to think about ROI, as you're saying. If we go onto this platform or we use this new tactic, which audiences are we reaching? Are we reaching anyone different? Or are we reaching the same audiences where we're already really heavily invested? Can we pilot something on a smaller scale and learn, test and learn over and over again before we decide to go bigger for the institution? Even with certain types of paid media, you can do that with small dollars for nonprofits. That's so important, right? I'm going to try something at a $200 price point before I know if it works. I love your focus on testing because I'm a dyed-in-the-wool direct marketer from way back, and that's what we're all about as direct marketers is testing. This time has just flown by, Anne, I have to say. (laughs) It's been a wonderful conversation. I wonder if people would like to get in touch with you. How can they do that? Sure. Well, you are welcome to reach out to me on Twitter. I'm at Anne on the Run. Anne on the Run. Okay. Anne on the Run via Twitter. And you can direct message me there if you'd like. Okay, that's awesome. I really appreciate that. Thank you, Ann Doyle, for your time and your wonderful insights. Thanks to the Pew Charitable Trust for sharing you with us today. Oh, thank you, Susan. It was a pleasure. You've been listening to WVU Marketing Communications Today, brought to you live from West Virginia University, a weekly program that sits at the intersection of data-driven decision-making and marketing practice. Only on the Funnel Radio Network for at work listeners like you. <laughs>